0: Open to Matthew 13, if you would, this morning as we work our way through the Gospel of Matthew. Of course, last week we took a break to uh, look at the resurrection in particular, but this week, again, I wanted to draw your attention back to the Gospel of Matthew. Of course, Jesus was a master storyteller, and we all like stories, you know. Everybody loves a good story. There's something about when somebody begins telling a story, you know. Uh, when a pastor finds that the sermon is getting long, and the people are getting weary, and sometimes he breaks into a story, you would be surprised if you were up here however everybody 's head kind of pops up like this. Stories are great, stories are engaging. people loved to hear the stories of Jesus, and I think uh, we appreciate stories, perhaps because we are in One great story, God's grand story of redemption that covers the entirety of human history. We find ourselves in the middle of story. No wonder stories resonate so well with us. And Jesus told a story in this passage that we're going to read today. And this is probably not his most well-known story, not as well-known as some like the Good Samaritan or the, uh, the Prodigal Son. But it is nevertheless a story with great significance for every single person who's here today, and especially for those of us who are Jesus' disciples, who are committed followers of Jesus Christ. However, having said that, the significance of this story isn't immediately apparent Uh, to understand and receive the real significance of the story. It's going to take thought. It's going to take discernment and continuing to listen to what Jesus has to say. And that's exactly what I call you to today. That You would come to this text to hear the word of the Savior speaking through this humble preacher this morning, to hear these words and to receive it, to grapple with it, to think about it, and to embrace everything that Jesus taught here in this text. It wasn't until a little later on, after Jesus told the story, that his disciples really got it. They really grasped its significance because he opened it up to them. And he's going to do that in this text. He's going to explain the significance of the story. But before we do that, we'll just read the story itself. And then once again, Jesus' explanation about why he told stories and spoke in riddles rather than speaking plainly. All right, so we'll begin in chapter thirteen, verse one. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that when he got into it, so that he got into a boat, excuse me, and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, a sower, farmer, sower went out to sow seeds. Verse 4, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds of the air came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. And Jesus ended his story with this, He who has ears, let him hear. And then later it says the disciples came to Him and they said, Why do you speak to them in parables? That is to the crowds. Why do you speak to them with parables? And His answer was, Well, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled but that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive for this people's heart has grown dull and with their eyes they can barely uh, excuse me with their ears they can barely hear and with their eyes they have and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and i would heal them and then jesus said to his disciples but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear. Uh, The question that was put to Jesus by his disciples after he told the story was, why do you tell stories like this and don't really make your point clear? when you talk to the crowds, why do you speak in riddles and parables? And if you were here two Sundays ago, we took the time to examine carefully Jesus' answer to them um, and I'm not going to do all of that this morning except to do this to give you the Peyton version. So Peyton and I, my son, my nine year old we were driving home last or two weeks ago on uh, after the service, and I did as I often do. I said, Peyton, what was the sermon about? was it did you understand it did you?" get anything out of it? Was it hard to understand? And uh, that's a good test for a preacher, by the way. You want to preach a sermon that, it, that the child can walk away with at least uh, one basic thing that you had to say, right? And so uh, yeah, that's a good gauge for me. And so I listened to his answer, and, and his answer was actually quite perceptive. He said, well, Jesus only told them parables because they just didn't really want to understand what he had to say, And I thought, that's it. That's exactly right. Jesus spoke to them in parables because they were unwilling to hear what He had to say. He revealed Himself to them, but He revealed Himself in a way that kind of obscured the real point. Now, for those who had ears to hear, there was something there. For those to whom it was given... Those who continued to follow Jesus and listen to everything that he had to say, their understanding was compounded. But for many, uh, his revelation was in fact a concealing of the truth more than it was a revealing of the truth, which all means that none of us should take for granted our ability to spiritually apprehend God's revelation. That none of us should think to ourselves, well, of course, we can figure out what God says, but that every one of us should make good use of what we hear, of what God has revealed, so that more may be given to us. And for those with ears to hear, Jesus revealed the significance of this story in verses 18 and following. And His disciples, who had a willingness from the Lord to hear what Christ had to say, they listened to Him and He says this to them. Verse 18 now, let's see what the significance of this parable is. He says to them, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what has been sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself. And endures for a while, but then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Verse 22, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. And for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So let's hear then the significance of the parable that Jesus told. He calls it the the parable of the sower, which of course paints the picture for us, right? A farmer going out with a bag of seed to broadcast that seed out on a plot of land, probably a small uh, uh, plot of land, an individual farmer uh, raising crops for his family and perhaps as as a business as well and He walks along the path and as he walks along the path, he scatters the seed all over and uh, in hopes for a good harvest, right? But uh, while it's called the parable of the sower, of course, the main point is not actually about the sower himself or about even the seed that's being sown, uh, but rather you might call it the parable of the soils or the parable of the ground because he's talking, of course, about for different types of ground and the way that they um, respond to the seed that hits it. And there are four types. There is the hard packed pathway where the sower walks and some of the seed, you know, falls along the pathway there. Um, then you have uh, the bit of land that's some shallow topsoil covering the The bedrock and some of the seed falls there. Other seed falls into an area over here that's infested by thorny weeds. And finally, some of the seed falls into what Jesus calls good ground the ground that's cultivated and prepared and and, uh, will eventually bring forth a crop. So you have in turn ground that is hard, ground that's shallow, ground that is overgrown. And finally, ground that's ready for the seed. And as he tells the story, uh, just the telling of it, there kind of seems to be a progression almost, doesn't there? Be, uh, from uh, along the lines of the first three kinds of soil and the way that, the, uh, that they respond to the, the seed, the first one where he throws the seed on the hard-packed ground, what uh, What happens? nothing happens, right? They don't, they don't germinate at all. They just sit there and finally the birds come and eat the seeds off the ground. And the second one, the seeds sprout, but they don't survive. In the third, they sprout and survive at least for a while, but produce nothing. So, so there's kind of a progression here, and yet the most fundamental distinction is between the first three kinds of soil and the fourth. Because the one bears what? The last one bears fruit, right? And the other three don't. So that's the story. Now, as for the story's significance, let me say this first. It's probably obvious to you uh, from the reading here, that the soils represent four different kinds of people, hearers, four different kinds of people. And in each case, secondly, in each case, the people are responding to the message that they hear. That message is called, in verse 19, the word of the kingdom. And remember, Matthew has been presenting Jesus as God's, King, the king over God's kingdom, which is a huge theme that runs from the very beginnings of the Bible, the book of Genesis, all the way to the very end of the Bible in the book of Revelation and is found so many places in between. God's plan is to raise up a great king in the likeness of David, a great king who will rule and reign over God's kingdom. And in God's kingdom... There is peace and joy and righteousness and holiness and the glory of God, the presence of God, the elimination of all of the curse that comes because of sin. It is a glorious kingdom and the promises of that kingdom revealed in the Old Testament were beyond anything that people could even imagine. And so the people of God waited for the coming of this great kingdom and the king that God would ordain to rule over all of his people and bring his people into the prosperity, into the glory that God had planned for the world. When Jesus arrived on the scene, he is announced like a king entering into a city by a forerunner, someone who went ahead heralding, the king is coming. Get ready. And the people would get the palm branches and widen the streets and set the city right. Get ready for the king. Put on your finest and stand out in the streets and be ready to see the king when he comes and to greet him and to glory in him and to bow before him and rejoice in that victory of the great King. This was John the Baptist who came saying, get ready for the King. He's about to come. And of course, Jesus came onto the scene as the King. And the good news is that God will get victory over all of the evil of the world through the Son whom He has made King over all of His kingdom. This is the good news or the gospel of the kingdom. What Jesus called here in verse 19, the Word of the kingdom. That word is being preached, is being preached to people by Jesus and then by his followers. So that that message, that word, is the seed that's thrown out onto the ground. The message is broadcast just like the seed is cast out onto the field. In fact, Matt, Mark, and Luke make it explicit. They say the seed is, quote, the word of God. So, so Jesus isn't talking in this parable about people who've never heard the Word of God. All right? That'd be a different set of people, not in view here. People who've never heard the Word of God. He's talking about people who have heard it. In every case, He makes it explicit. Take a look at the text again. You might even want to underline this. Look at verse 19. He says, when anyone... What? What? Hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it. All right, that's a kind of person. Look at the middle of verse twenty. This is the one he's talking about here, who hears the word, and immediately he receives it with joy. That's another kind of person. Verse twenty-two. Here's the third. This is the one who hears the word. All right, and the care, but the cares of the world, etc. And then middle of verse twenty-three. This is the one who. Here's the word. You see, Jesus makes it very explicit every single time. He's talking about not people in faraway countries who've never heard the word of Christ. Jesus is talking about people like you and me. People who've heard the word. The word, the good news of the gospel. However, thirdly... There is an explicit distinction that Jesus makes between the first and the last kind of soil. Look back at the text again. He makes the distinction explicit between the first and the last kind of person. Take a look again at verse 19. Here's the first. Everyone who hears the word of the kingdom and does not what? does not understand it. Now compare that or contrast that to the last kind of person, verse 23, middle of the verse. See it there? This is the one who hears the word and understands it. So the contrast again, a clear distinction is being made between on the one hand those who do understand and those who do not. So what does it mean to understand something? You know, we use the term in different ways sometimes. Sometimes we talk about maybe you've read some sort of technical article. And the article is using jargon, language, terminology that you don't know. Right? Have you ever had that happen? And, uh, you know, sometimes you look it up online, you know, Google it. We used to get out the dictionary. You Google it now. And you figure out what it's saying. but sometimes it's so much jargon in there that you just sort of get lost. You say, "I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand it." All right? that, that's one sort of understanding, or misunderstanding, or lack of understanding that we have. We just, you know, we say, I, "I just don't get it. It's all, it's all Greek to me." You know, I don't, I don't get, you know, the syntax and the language. But sometimes, and, and, and that's not really what Jesus is talking about here. After all, he's told a very simple story, right? It's not like he's using a lot of terms that people don't understand. We we use the term understand something in a different way too when we mean that we don't get it. We don't understand the significance of something. We say, I just don't get it. I don't understand. Or, Or we can't comprehend someone's particular perspective, right? We say to them, we say, you know, he said such and such, or she said such and such, but I just don't see it, right? What we mean is we, we don't get it, not, not that we don't understand literally what they're trying to communicate, but we don't, it doesn't resonate with us. We don't embrace it. We don't receive it. We don't understand it in the sense of um, having a kind of a mutual entering into it together. That's what Jesus means when he says that they do or they do not understand the gospel. Some people get it and other people walk away saying, I don't get it. I don't don't see what's so big big a deal about the gospel. I don't see what's such a a big deal. I I don't understand what they see in that, right? Jesus is not talking about people who can't understand the language or the syntax of the Bible. He's talking about the people who say, I just don't buy it. Personally, I just don't see it. They hear, but they do not understand, right? You see the distinction he's making? They hear it, but they don't understand it. They don't apprehend it. They don't accept it. They don't embrace it. And that, by the way, is a distinction that, Jesus said, motivated His speaking to them in parables in the first place. Look again back at verse 13. This is, why, this is the tie-in now from what He's just said about why He speaks to them in parables. He says, this is why I speak to them, because seeing they do not see, and hearing, remember all four of those in the parable heard, hearing, He says, they do not hear, nor do they what? Understand. See that in verse 13? Right? he's picking up that same kind of language now in this parable. He says in verse 14, indeed in their case the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, you will indeed hear but never understand and you will indeed see but never perceive for this people's heart has grown dull and with their eyes they can barely or ears, excuse me, they can barely hear and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes hear with their ears and understand with their heart. And turn, and I would heal them. In other words, what Jesus is talking about here, the distinction, the clear distinction that he's making between two kinds of people, is not those who have an intellectual understanding that's that's greater than the others. He's talking about people who understand with their heart, as Isaiah said. These are not people who have head problems, these are people who have heart problems. They don't want to receive it. They don't want to embrace what Jesus is saying. And that's part of the reason why he doesn't fully disclose it to them. So all four of these, he says, hear the word. But there's a clear distinction between the first and the fourth, between those who won't receive the word and those who will. And that leads me to this fourthly, that there are two, types of soil or two types of people in the middle of this story that don't obviously seem to fit into either category, right? Are you still with me? All right, so you've got the one at the beginning, they hear and they do not understand, the one at the end who hears and they understand, but now you've got these two in the middle that don't obviously seem to fit into either category. He doesn't say about them that they don't understand, like the first one, nor that they do understand, like the fourth one, there's an ambiguity about these people in the middle. Are you with me? All right. So, and that ambiguity, of course, is illustrated even in the story itself, right? In the story with the two middle kinds of soil, in each case, there's a little plant that germinates and it begins to grow. It looks like, it looks like you're going to get a crop, right? You, you, you see the, little, the, the leaves starting to come up, popping out of the ground. You say, oh good, All right, we're going to get a crop. You see some responsiveness. So if the first type of ground illustrates people who don't really respond to the gospel at all, then these kinds of people in the middle are people who do seem in some measure to respond to what they hear. And then finally this, fifth, though the distinction between the first kind of soil, right, the kind on the wayside, the first kind of people, and the last are obvious, one understands, one doesn't, though the distinction between the first and the last is obvious, there's actually another distinction that's more fundamental. One distinction is obvious. Everybody can see it. That ground didn't do anything. The other three kinds of ground, something seems to happen. But even though there's one distinction that's obvious, there's another that's more fundamental. And that is that none of the first three kinds of soil ever produce what the sower actually wanted, right? Which was what? Yeah, a crop. Never produced any fruit. And what's the sower out there doing, right? Except trying to raise a crop, a harvest. And these three, none of them, end up bringing that into fruition, the uh, the illustration here of fruitfulness is is rooted uh, uh, pun intended in the Old Testament um, in passages like Isaiah chapter 5 where God pictures his people the people who hear his word right the people of Israel who hear the Bible he pictures the people who hear the Bible as a vineyard that he planted uh, he He got some land, he dug out the rocks, he pulled out the weeds, he planted the the seed, he sent the rain and the sunshine, and he built a fence around it to keep the wild animals out. He did all of this stuff to to make this uh, field produce. And in the end, what happened? He said the field produced nothing but rotten fruit. Nothing good to eat came out of that field. Those people who heard his words, by and large, most of them turned away from what they heard. Their hearts were hardened, and they did not understand what they heard. So God said, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pick up my tools. You know, like in your yard, you've got some hedge clippers. Maybe you've got that old kind like this, or maybe you've got the new, you know, automatic kind, and you say, I'm just going to go chop it all down. And that's what God did. He said, I'm going to take a foreign nation. They're going to be my hedge trimmers. And I'm going to come in here with that foreign nation and I'm going to cut off all of this bramble of, of unfruitful people. I'm going to just mow them down. Like you would take your lawnmower and run over those nasty weeds in your yard, right? You run them right over, just chop them all off. God said, that's exactly what I'm going to do with a, a nation. And I'm going to give... Uh, Matthew 21, he says, I'm going to give the kingdom of God, I'm going to take it away from them and give it to a people producing its fruits. In other words, there are, there is a kind of effect, a fruitfulness that a real apprehension, a real understanding of the gospel produces. Listen to me, if you're a Christian here, if you are truly... Uh, if you truly comprehend and have received the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, it will have certain effects in your life. It will produce in you uh, a, a, a repentance and a faith and an ongoing transformation of your life. This was not true about so many who heard the word of God and so Jesus came in John chapter 15 and he said, I'll tell you about that vineyard in Isaiah, that vineyard that God chopped down and he left it as a stump in the ground. He said, I'm the true vine. I'm the vine that produces fruit. And if you are connected to me, if you by faith are united to me, you will produce fruit too. You will manifest the fruit of salvation. In your life. But he says, for those branches that bear no fruit, what does God say He will do with them? He says, I'm going to cut them off and I'm going to throw them into the fire. That's why I say this distinction between the first three types of soil and the last is fundamental. This is the crucial distinction. The distinction is not between the second two types and the last. The distinction here is not between... Okay, let me clarify. Are you with me? Is this, The distinction is not between fruit-bearing Christians and non-fruit-bearing Christians. Between disciples and just mere believers. Between... Rather, the distinction is between unbelievers, even though in some cases they seem to be responsive, at least for a time. The the, the distinction, the real fundamental distinction, is between unbelievers, the first three kinds of soil, and believers, those who are responsive to the message, those who manifest real repentance and faith and persevere in that faith, and their lives are transformed. brought from one degree of glory to another by the power of the Holy Spirit, transforming them into the image of Christ. That's the real distinction here. So having sort of compared and contrasted those soils, now we can quickly survey what Jesus says about the four kinds of people or the four types of people's responsiveness in terms of their responsiveness to the gospel. Everyone here this morning, because you're hearing the Bible, falls into one of these four categories. Okay? Every one of you falls into one of these four categories because you're sitting here under the hearing of God's Word. In the first case, there are people who we could describe as people who are just hard, right? Like that hard-packed soil. People who are just hard to God and His Word. People who say, you know, I don't believe that. I don't see it. I don't get it. I don't understand what you see in all that religion stuff. you know anybody like that? Most of us know, know people who would say something like that. And Jesus says, in their case, the evil one, comes, almost immediately he comes like a bird and he just snatches that seed right out of their heart. And there are people who come and they sit in a service like this, they hear the word and when they walk out, they forget it just as quickly as they heard it because nothing in the message resonated with their souls. Nothing in the message brought light to their eyes. Nothing seemed weighty. Nothing seemed significant. It was just like so many nice people getting together to do whatever it is that kind of makes them happy. And, you know, I I could just, you know, it's not for me. And it's quickly gone. What they heard, they dismiss. It's forgotten. Jesus encountered that kind of opposition of his message, and doubtless, you will too. When you tell the gospel to your friends, to your neighbors, your coworkers, when you go make the gospel known, most every one of us will come across people who just say, you know, I don't believe it at all. I just don't get it. I don't see it. They're just hard, right? Now, there's a second kind of person that, you know, is you could describe in the terms of the illustration as people who are just spiritually shallow, shallow, right? Like that seed that fell on the, the little thin layer of soil that was, you know, had all these this rock underneath and the, and the, the roots couldn't get down very deep. And so it sprung up quickly, but when the sun came out, it was scorched by the sun and the little plant just, you know, it just withered away and died because it had no depth of root, no, no deep sustenance to, 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 uh, to keep it alive. And what, what's striking here about this one, all right, take a look at the text again. What's striking here about the seed that fell on the stony ground or the rock, and that kind of person, is the immediacy of response. Jesus says it twice, verse 20. Notice that he describes them as immediately receiving the word with joy. But then in the end of verse 21, the end of 21, notice it. It says, immediately he falls away. You know, easy come, easy go, right? That's the kind of person that this is. Their response to the word of God is is to receive it immediately, and, and it may even be a real emotional response to the Word of God, right? In fact, Matthew makes it explicit that they receive the Word with what? Joy. And this is apparently a significant thing because Mark and Luke, though their um, telling of the story varies a little bit, every one of them says the exact same thing. He They receive it with joy. There's an emotional responsiveness to the Word of God being preached at some level, and, and, and there's an immediacy of, of acceptance, at least on the surface. But the problem here is with this person that the Word of God never gets down very deep into their soul. Or as Jesus says in verse 21, they have no root in themselves. There's a kind of a surface level, emotional response to the gospel. The gospel sort of appeals to this person at, at some level, but in the end, the depth of his understanding and of his commitment is tested. The sun comes out, and Jesus says that represents tribulation and persecution on account of the word, verse 21. And he says immediately when things get hard for him because he's receiving, he's giving testimony of receiving the Word, the Word of God, when things get hard for him in that light, he falls away. He turns away. He goes away. He, he, he stumbles over it. He doesn't persist in the Word. He doesn't continue to hear what Jesus has to say anymore. Because, whoa, things have gotten real now, right? Things have gotten hard now. I didn't know it was going to be like this. I thought it was going to, you know, the message of the gospel is, is full of joy and hope. And now, look, everything's going bad. I'm not going to be a Christian anymore. How many of you know someone who used to call themselves a Christian and God let something really bad happen in their life, and they got mad at God, angry at God, and said, you know what, I don't, I don't believe that stuff anymore. Or maybe they, maybe they still say, yeah, I, I consider myself spiritual, but they, they don't go to church, they don't want anything to do with the people of God or the preaching of the Word of God, because somewhere along the line, things got hard, things got difficult, and it proved that their commitment to those things was very shallow indeed. Listen, long before long ago, our Lord told us that people would respond like that, right? There are people who seem to respond to the Word of God and embrace it, but it does not last. They live by whatever moves them at the moment. And sometime sitting in a church service or listening to a, a beautiful piece of Christian music, or, or watching a, an evangelist on the television and they were moved in their soul in that moment. But later they're moved by something else. They never get their roots down deep into God's word, into the Bible. They never drink up the gospel. They live by a kind of a surface level thinking. And when things get hard and when they're faced with difficult choices, they show that they were never really good soil after all. And there is a third kind of person, right? So you've got the one who is hard hard to the things of God. You've got the one who is shallow in his responsiveness. And then you've got thirdly the person whose life is kind of overgrown. Right? The picture of this this sort of parcel of land, a part of this field that that there's a bunch of weeds growing up already, and some of the seed falls down there, and the weeds grow up. You know, have you ever noticed that weeds always grow quicker than what you really want to grow? <laughs> right? <laughs> Isn't that true in your yard? Uh, in fact, sometimes in the spring, I feel like if I don't mow my weeds, it's going to look like I have no grass because all I have is weeds. Right? The weeds come up first. They come up bigger. They come up taller. These weeds grow up and they choke out, as it were. Um, the grain, the harvest, and it never in the end bears any fruit. Jesus says this is the person who is overwhelmed by what He calls the cares of the world. He cares about other things more than He does the things of God. Mark says He desires other things. I mean, His He he wants the good news, right? Hey, you can be delivered from hell. Yeah, I'll take that. But his desires are really wrapped up in the things of this world. That's where his desires really are. That's where his care really is. And the deceitfulness of riches, Jesus says. He puts more hope in material things than in God. Luke says his spiritual commitment is is choked out by, quote, the pleasures of this life. You know, the writer of Hebrews talks about the pleasures of sin for uh, what? For a season. Right? Here's a person, not like the second one, right? not being confronted with difficulties, and persecution, and trials and tribulations for his faith, He's, he, this guy's on the velvet cushion. This guy's got a good life. Things are good. He's got good things around him. He's got the opportunity to get more things and his heart craves those things and he's anxious until he gets more of those things, right? Jesus uses the same kind of terminology back in verse 6 about cares of this world, right? And he's worried and anxious about many things. He, his mindset is not on the gospel, but on the material things of this world and those pleasures become idols for him. He treasures the gifts that he can get from God rather than God as the great giver of all that's good. This then is a person who has been convicted by sin, or about sin. Maybe he's begun to be interested in his eternal soul, and he starts to pursue religion. Perhaps he even confesses faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But in time, all of the things of this world crowd out. You hear me? They crowd out any spiritual sensitivity that he'd ever had. His mantra is, I'm too busy. I'm too busy for the things of God. I'm too busy for the Bible. I'm too busy for church. I've got other things I'm involved with. Other things I want to do. Other things I need to get. Things of the world have taken his attention away. And what is this? But a manifestation of what he really believed all along. Right? It's just, it takes some time for that to become Apparent For that to become manifest, perhaps the pleasures of sin for a season have turned his head and his heart away from God. And slowly but surely, any evidence of his real conversion seems to be a vain hope indeed. But then there is that last, that good ground. Amen? Praise God that there is ground that is ready to receive. The good soil, Jesus called it. Verse 23, he said, This is the only one who hears the word of God and understands. This person is distinct from all the rest because he alone not only hears, but in the words of Isaiah, now the words of Jesus as well. He understands. He gets it. It's become real for him. His eyes have been opened. His ears have been unplugged. And now he really does hear the voice of Christ. He's come to life. He's been regenerated. He's been truly converted. He has been saved by the grace of God. And the evidence, Jesus says, is that indeed... Notice it says in the text, He hears the word of God... Right. So this is verse number 23, if you're, lo- if you're lost. He hears the word, he understands it, and how do you know? Because truly, he bears fruit. That's the manifestation of understanding. Fruitfulness bears fruit. You see, his life increasingly transformed the evidence of the indwelling Holy Spirit of God in him. Bringing him to continual repentance of his sin, faith in Christ, and, and a transform, uh, transformation of his behavior. And though the crop is, is buried, you know, this kind of person, Jesus says, well, you could kind of think of this as a whole category of persons. And he says, some of those people, they bear 30 fold, right? For every little seed that falls, Thirty sprouts, 30 grains of, of wheat, or whatever it is, they, they come up. some bear 30-fold some 60 and some a hundredfold.? Right? But though they bear different measures of fruit, yet all good ground bears fruit. That's Jesus' point. So why this parable then? at this point, for the disciples. You know, I think Jesus is telling the parable here to His disciples primarily. Okay, Now, He tells the crowds the whole story. But He really gives the significance to His disciples because we've just finished, or we're about to finish here in chapter 13, a section of Matthew. Remember, He's divided into five sections. This one runs from 11 to 13, in which, this section, in which Matthew records or highlights various responses to Jesus. And he sort of um, highlights three different categories of people. Uh, There are the Pharisees, who are, of course, just against Jesus from the very beginning. The scribes and the Pharisees, they're like adamant. We just don't get it. They see, but they don't understand. Then he talks about the crowds, these masses of people who are flocking to hear this great teacher. And they're so interested, right? And and, and they, they really want to hear what he has to say. They see his miracles. They're like telling each other about, hey, you, have you heard of this Jesus of Nazareth? And they come and they follow him and they get all excited about it. Right? The crowds are just whipped up into a frenzy about this. But before long, what happens to the crowds? Before long they're gone. And And in fact, you'll read this in the Gospels. And the crowds quit following him. So there are those people. And then finally, we're left with those who are really his disciples. As Jesus said, you are my disciples truly if you continue to listen to everything I have to say. These are the people who kept following him. Even when he said things that were really hard to receive, they were like, Lord, help us. (laughs) We, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. And they kept hearing. Jesus tells them this parable, and when the significance is unfolded for them, I think the disciples are like, oh, yeah, of course. We've seen this is exactly what's happening. As you preach the gospel or the word of the kingdom, this is exactly the way people are responding. Some reject it outright. Some seem to respond, but then they go away. And then by grace, blessed from God, there are those of us who are still with you, Lord. Now, I want you to think about this in closing. The, the, really the importance of this parable for you and for me. The great story... And, and we've even unpacked the significance of it. But, you know, how is it supposed to help us? And, and I think there are several things. Let me give you five quick, quick things in terms of the importance of this parable. Number one, this parable warns us that there will be some who seem to understand, to respond to the gospel, but who do not truly belong to the Lord. And because that is a valid category, that is a real category of people, then every one of us who's sitting here today ought to examine our hearts lest we prove to be that kind of person who seems responsive. Right now you're sitting here, amen? You're sitting here in the service. You came today. But lest you prove in the end to be a person who ultimately walks away from God. There's a warning. here. Secondly, this parable teaches us to be less naive in our expectations about the ways that people are responding to the gospel, the validity of that response, I say Jesus wants us to be less naive so that we are not in the end discouraged. And so he warns us ahead of time that people will respond just this way. I was talking to a man about another person who had named the name of Christ and who was seen as a A great Christian, but who had dramatically and unrepentantly pursued sin. And the man I was talking to said, how can that be? How do you explain that? Jesus gave us this as the explanation so that we would not be overly bewildered by it it when it happens. You see what I'm getting at? That we would not be naive in the terms of the way people respond. We would recognize that from the very beginning, our Lord has told us that some people will seem to be believers and will in the end prove not to be. Thirdly, this reminds us that if we don't see the gospel take effect, the fault is not with the seed it's with the what It's with the soil the fault is not with the gospel message it's with the hearers and and this is so critical and we're going to come back to this this afternoon all right we're going to dig a little bit deeper in the very passage that Jesus quotes here from Isaiah chapter 6 kind of reinforce this and, and I think give us a good, Helpful corrective to the way we, we just tend to always want to think, which is if something's not working, you, you take the, the thing that's not working and you sort of tweak it so maybe it'll start working, right? I mean, we, we, we just sort of instinctively feel that, feel this way. If you're, not, if you're doing something at work right, at your job and it doesn't seem to be very effective, you don't just keep on doing it and doing it and doing it, right? You say, no, we've got to change that. We've got to do something different. Right? And in, in terms of what you're doing at work, to some degree, that's okay. But it's not okay when we're talking about the gospel. Right? So the problem is not with the seed. This is a good seed. It'll bring forth fruit. The problem is with the soil. Number four, this parable encourages us. It encourages us through the that through the scattering of the seed, there will be many who do bear the fruit of salvation. Amen? There is good ground out there. And you know, after you've sown seed, if you're a Christian and you've ever tried to be um, evangelistic and communicating the gospel and telling people about Jesus and talking to your neighbors and praying for people to be saved, and you've seen people respond with negativity and, and with... Um, with uh, hardness, or maybe they've seemed to respond and then for a, after a while, and, and you got all excited that they became a Christian, right? And then after a while, they walked away from Jesus and, and you, were, you were discouraged about that. If you've seen that again and again and again, it's tempting to get jaded, to get unbelieving in the power of the gospel to actually do good to transform hearts and lives, that, 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 that there is good soil that God has prepared to receive the Word of God, and when they hear it, they're going to believe. Jesus says it's out there. The good soil is there. You just keep scattering the seed, scattering the seed. God has prepared hearts. He has dug up the ground with conviction and desperation so that there are people who literally are ready to hear. Don't lose sight of that in this parable, okay? And then finally, this parable reminds us that even with good soil, even with the good ground, there are varying levels of fruitfulness, right? Some of the ground produces 30-fold, some 60, some 100. I think two things about that. One that ought to cause us not to be too quick to judge people as unbelievers who don't seem to be quite as fruitful as they should be. Now, having said that, I've got to come back and remind you that if someone has no fruit, then there is no evidence that they are truly saved. Right. But nevertheless, we do look at people whom the Lord Jesus describes as good ground, who don't all bring as forth as much fruit as the others. Secondly, I think this should cause us, this idea that there are varying levels of fruitfulness, should cause us to realize that the things that plague unbelieving hearers like hardness and unreceptiveness or shallowness or preoccupation with other things, that those same things are not exclusively experienced by unbelievers, but they may even be true in a limited sort of way of a Christian. And so limit the fruitfulness that he could have had, should have had. And so we... What I mean is by that, that we guard our hearts. Those same things, the hardness, shallowness, right? Those same things, preoccupation with the things of this world, those can plague Christians. Listen, God wants you to be fruitful. And Christ is intent in coming into your heart with a sermon just like this and and cutting away those parts of your heart that are are still kind of hard, or preoccupied with the things of the world, right? He's, he wants to come in and cut those things away so that you might bear more fruit. This is what Jesus said. This is what the Father is about. He is working in the hearts of believers that they would bear fruit and that in turn they would bear more fruit. When you're here today, I hope you will say, the lord lord make me good soil right let my roots grow down deep let me hear your words and receive them and bear the true fruit of salvation your heart should cry that out to the lord this morning you're a believer that you would continue to sow the word sow the gospel And not be discouraged by disappointing responses. Even some who seem to respond and then fall away. Christ told us this would be the case. Don't be discouraged, brothers and sisters, because listen, there is good ground. And that good ground will bear fruit that endures unto everlasting life and to the everlasting glory of God the Father. Would you pray with me? Our Lord, we thank you for this revelation that we would be prepared as we proclaim the word for the responses that we'll encounter. Lord, I pray right now for anyone who is disillusioned with the scattering of the seed because of the responses that they have received. Lord, we pray that you would overcome our lack of faith Give us the grace to continue to be faithful no matter what. That we would proclaim the gospel and not be jaded and unbelieving in terms of its effectiveness. Lord, strengthen the hearts of your people. I pray that if there's anyone here apart from the Lord Jesus, that today you would prepare their hearts that this word would be received and embraced and understood and that this would be the day of salvation for them. We pray it in Jesus' name.